Hi, my name is Tara Kachaturoff, and I'm the host of Michigan Entrepreneur, where we feature businesses from startup to stellar. Today, I have as my special guest, Jonathan Martone, partner with Clark Hill. Welcome to the program. Good morning, Tara. How are you? Great, great. And I'm so excited to have you on today because we're going to be talking about uh, business formation issues and all the legalities around that. Well, maybe not all of them, but some <laughs> of them, the important ones. But before we do that, why don't you tell us a little bit about your background sure. um, at Clark Hill and what you do and who you serve, and then we'll dive into those questions. Uh, absolutely. Well, uh, since 2009, I've been an attorney at Clark Hill. Uh, Clark Hill is a international law firm. We have nearly 700 attorneys spread out through 27 offices in the U.S., Mexico City and Dublin, Ireland. But it has deep roots to Michigan. It was founded, or its, its legacy firms were founded back in the late 1800s uh, in Detroit, and we remain headquartered in Detroit. Uh, I'm a partner uh, for the firm and uh, uh, deputy member in charge of our Birmingham, Michigan office, which there's about 50 other attorneys that work out of that office. Uh, my personal practice uh, focuses a lot on business and uh, transactional needs, um, and it's something that I'm excited to share with you and, and uh, answer any questions you may have. Absolutely. You know, I did not know that about the um, historical roots of Clark Hill being in Michigan. I yes. had no idea. Absolutely. That's in fact, it, uh, back in the late 90s, it was the largest merger of two law firms in Michigan history when uh, Clark Klein and Beaumont, a firm from the 1800s in Detroit, merged with Hill Lewis, a firm from Lansing, from also from the 1800s. And uh, wow. uh, since I've been there, we've uh, over tripled in size through acquisitions of other very talented firms throughout the country. And uh, we've added a tremendous amount of depth uh, to our bench. And I will say, from a practitioner's standpoint, it's been great because of the breadth of resources I have now, not only locally in Michigan, but uh, throughout the country and the world. Wow, that's that's fascinating. I love hearing that, it, Michigan history. Yeah. And, and by the way, what was it that drew you to law originally? Um, you know, because you could have gone many places sure. with your college degree background, but where did, why, why law? Absolutely. Well, I, uh, I say I really grew up and was immersed in it. My father was a practicing attorney and then mm -hmm. for 18 years a district court judge uh, in Troy, where I grew up. And uh, although there was never any overt pressure for, for myself to follow into him, uh, I'd be lying if I didn't say there was plenty of you know, five-year-old photos of me in his <laughs> office with a, you know, doodling on yellow pads. And it was something that uh, I think uh, I was always very interested in. And in particular, uh, I knew that I wanted to go to law school. I wanted that law degree and that mm -hmm. training. And I thought, as, as particularly when I was uh, entering into undergrad, that whether or not I decided to truly make a full career of practicing law in the traditional sense, I felt that having that law degree and that training would be very instrumental and useful. Um, and, and I certainly have found that uh, uh, both in my practice and then in some of my other entrepreneurial pursuits as well. Yeah, that, that's wonderful. I love, I love hearing the background yeah. stories uh, uh, of how people come to where they are today. So um, we're going to be talking today, um, drawing on your background about um, you know, people planning their businesses. Sure. And, and I, I love this quote, of course, uh, when you fail to plan, you plan to fail. And I know it's really trite, but I, I tell you, it really makes a difference. So when we're talking about um, you know, people uh, starting businesses, and I know this is a really broad question, but when should they start engaging an attorney? And we'll, we'll break it down by some of the, the specifics, but where in the process yep. should they start bringing in somebody with the, the proper expertise? That's a great question. And whether or not it's actually bringing in an attorney or starting to consider about some of the legal needs, I think it's right from the very beginning. And it's sort of akin to building a house, right? Having that proper foundation. Um, certainly there is a, a 
broad spectrum of, of legal issues and needs that businesses face and not that they have to address all of those right at the onset. But there are certain critical elements early on that will set them up, a business up for success or potential failure if they don't address them. So certainly as I counsel and meet with uh, startups and other entrepreneurs, I want them thinking about some of these topics very early on in the process. Uh, and sometimes uh, people from their prior experiences may have already addressed these things, um, but uh, it's, it's certainly something that you want to tap those resources very early. And some of the things I think about are like family being in the business, other friends being in the business. Those are the things that can get really ugly later a ab if you don't know what to do early on. <laughs> absolutely. Defining roles and responsibilities mm -hmm. and expectations mm -hmm. informally as well as formally through operating agreements or things of that nature yeah. are critical. Yeah. And, uh, and, and I see that when people don't address it and then it leads to ugly situations like litigation and you're trying to untie a Gordian knot uh, <laughs> after the fact. And uh, I think it goes to the adage that uh, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. And that's our second statement for today that we need to keep in mind, boys and girls, right? Yeah. All right. So we're going we're gonna to go through some of the things. Um, oh, and oh, actually, one other question yeah. I want to uh, address kind of early on. Um, you know, people have to think about getting an attorney involved early on because there's so much you don't know. And you don't know until you talk to somebody and suddenly like, oh, my God, I haven't thought of that. Um, but what are some things that entrepreneurs um, should be doing, um, like, in the beginning, like, are there certain kinds of record keeping you would love to see? Are, are there certain kinds of things you'd love entrepreneurs to do now, even if they're not going to hire you right away, um, that and, they should be doing and collecting and putting in a box if, they, if that's where the box is, even if it's a digital box? What are some of those things that you would love to see as an attorney sure. or any attorney doing what you do? I, I think that's a great, great aspect. And, and organization, I think, for any, any business is, is key in terms of record keeping. Um, Oftentimes, businesses, we talk about the, the three you know, critical advisors, law, tax, and perhaps you know, business consultants in serving, serving these people. And across the board, there's unanimity that having organized financial records, business records, makes our job a lot easier, keeps costs lower. Um, but uh, I think early on, uh, financial records are very important. So keeping track, if, you, if it's more than one individual that's contributing to an entrepreneurial effort, keeping track of what uh, he or she has contributed uh, is important so that there's understanding there. Uh, if there are discussions early on about defined roles and responsibilities, having that laid out in some format, even if it, again, is just informal and is later to become adopted as part of a more formal uh, operating agreement or shareholder agreement, uh, it still helps to have those expectations laid out, particularly as memories fade, people may have, di you know, disagreements, having those sort of early things. Yeah, the fading memory issue, that's another thing to be watchful of. All yeah. right, so we've kind of covered some basic groundwork, but now we're going to dive into a couple things that are, are really critical. One of the things that comes up for businesses has to do with protecting um, their idea and also their name. So we're talking patents and trademarks. Sure. Um, what are some important things that people need to be aware of with these things? And boy, do get an attorney on these because I've seen so many nightmares with people on stuff like this. A absolutely. Well, in, in a... A common issue that I, I also see is mm -hmm. entrepreneurs having an idea, but not necessarily doing the due diligence to make sure that this idea 
is unique enough that it doesn't infringe upon another person's protected intellectual property. And uh, I've had to counsel several clients, particularly in areas of trademark and copyright for designs and things of that nature, that uh, they should have potentially looked and searched to see if these issues would infringe, and sometimes they do. Uh, sometimes very early on they're receiving cease and desist letters <laughs> From, from other entities that are, are reaching out to protect their intellectual property. But uh, to your question, though, uh, it is something that is very, uh, it's nuanced. That having an, uh, an expert, having someone that's skilled in intellectual property law, I think is, is a great help. Um, you know, from a very early state, if, talking about you know, creating a company, if you want to uh, you know, have your name, you're going to want to you know, trademark that, you're going to want to protect that. Uh, the, the, there's a lot of very helpful online resources that are free to the public just to search to see, is there a company with a similar name? Uh, is there a company that has a web domain like this? I mean, these are types of intellectual property aspects that uh, they might not be, okay, am I going to patent this idea? But if your business is going to be web-based or to try to drive traffic through that, um, you should probably consider that make sure that your that domain is available and doesn't infringe upon anyone else before you set out to, to name your company that. So there are little little practical things that that all touch upon aspects of intellectual property. And I'll tell you, those are things I know people can go and look at you know uh, different websites and see things, but I would really suggest that people go see an attorney. Sure. Because that's nothing to mess with and certainly not with the domain names because you can be just taken out so fast with something that is bought improperly and this and that and uh, and things can come up I mean years and years ago we've been doing the show 18 years but probably a decade ago I was contacted by a law firm that was trying uh, to contact somebody on this on this who had been a guest on this show for infringement really and it was like I didn't have any information on the person. All sure. I said is I had I did the show with this person. I know nothing more about it. But uh, it was it, this person had actually infringed upon some. Uh, I guess it would have been a patent because it was the design of the product. Okay. Right. And it was like, oh my God. You know, you just never know. Sure. Um, and I know this person did. I, I'm sure they didn't do the right research. Right. But um, they. I think they had obviously seen the show because somebody knew to contact me. Sure. <laughs> So they were searching and searching and searching um, to try to nail this person, yeah. and it was like, oh my God! I mean, so that's my claim to fame on the legal end. <laughs> but uh, yeah, and and I would say for people to, especially with the domain, trying to get everything to matchy matchy, right? Name, domain, just see an attorney. It is not worth it right. for the time you are going to waste. Absolutely. And I don't think people get that. They're going to save more money hiring somebody than doing it yourself. And wasting days, weeks, years, and and then possibly being sued at the end. I mean, well, or getting a cease and desist where they yeah, have to like sure. undo everything. And one of the important things to, that I think a, hopefully a skilled attorney will share with them is that there are several options and approaches here. Uh, certainly, so if we're just focusing on the realm of trademark, there you can have very specific trademarks that are for design and particular aspects, or you could do something very broad, just like the name, and. Perhaps the starting point is just just the name itself, as opposed to a you know a name tied to a particular design or logo, uh, because that may be easier to get through the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office or, more, or cheaper to get through the Patent and Trademark Office. So those types of things, having someone say, you know, right now, if you don't want to dedicate a tremendous amount of time and financial resources, this might be the first step. It gives you some protections, 
and, uh, and then you can build upon that later on down the road. Well said, well said. All right, so we kind of covered patents and trademarks in a big way. Um, how about legal entities in forming your business? And I know there's lots of different legal entities. Why don't you explain some different sure. options sure. and what might be a good, a pro and a con for each one of sure. them? Sure. Well, and, and the foundation for that, I'll say, is this. Uh, you, you, people don't need a legal entity to, to conduct a business, right? You can be a sole proprietor in, and in your individual capacity, but the big concern there is, is the liability. Uh, one of the big benefits of creating some sort of corporate entity is to create that level of, of liability shield. And so uh, in Michigan and in many states, there are several options or uh, you know, particularly common options, limited liability companies, S-Corps, C-Corps. And um, in the decision by the entrepreneur should be, I think, in part informed by what does he or she envision their business to entail? How do they envision bringing on, if, if they are other people, are they going to raise capital? If so, how? Um, probably the most common entity type that is used is a limited liability company, given its ease, uh, given some of the uh, informalities that are, are permitted. Um, and uh, it's something that could be registered with the state uh, very quickly and very inexpensively, and it creates that level of, of protection. Uh, there are certainly formalities that must be followed in any of uh, corporate entity, uh, you know, so you have to make sure that your bank accounts are titled in the name of the company, that you're conducting business through that entity. You can't just create one and file it away in a, in a drawer and not use it, but having that is of, of significant benefit. And um, do you, uh, what is the most common when you're dealing with entrepreneurs, what is the most common business uh, entity that they're going for? Limited liability companies. Okay. And, and again, it's, it gives a lot of flexibility. Um, you can bring on additional members. Mm -hmm. um, you can amend operating agreements, membership agreements. And so it's not You can like, have employees, correct? You can have, exactly, you can employees. have employees. Um, but it creates that level of protection depending on uh, the number of individuals. I mean, just from a tax perspective, it flows through, uh, you know, through K-1s onto their individual taxes. So it's not, you're not getting double tax like, like a C corporation is right. that's getting taxed at the corporate level. And then ultimately what's drawn out to the shareholders is then being taxed at the personal level. Um, are any of these business, because I mean, you have to think about going into a business, but also getting out of it and, and liquidating or, you know, you may be forced out of it because one of you gets a divorce and yep. the other one's going after it. But uh, is any of these entities easier on the exit than any others? Uh, well, certainly membership agreements, the, the language that you put in a membership agreement will make it easier or not. And, and we talked a little bit about um, you know, failing to plan. And that's one, that's a great area where having the foresight early on to outline, particularly if you own a business and uh, you're bringing on more than one you know, person, to outline what the expectations are, what are the mechanisms if there is a triggering event. So death, divorce, someone just wants to leave the, the, the business. Uh, and having those spelled out early on uh, definitely makes it a much easier process, particularly if there's uh, questions regarding how do we value mm -hmm. the, the interests in the business, having that spelled out. And I've seen very simplistic uh, uh, mechanisms and descriptions. I've seen also very complex with formulas described <laughs> in, in, in terms of you know, what the multiplier is going to be you know, on their earnings and things of that nature. So. Um, it's not one size fits all, but those are important things to consider. 
Um, but at a, at a basic level, uh, an out between an LLC or a C corp, there's not dramatic amount of difference in terms of the difficulty to to exit. Uh, but it's going to, I think, largely be determined upon what were the ground rules that the parties agreed to. So literally, like if you have, like, let's just say you have a member agreement with an LLC, you can really specify what's going to happen should one of the members be embroiled in a divorce or if one member dies. I mean, you can spell it out to that level of detail. A absolutely. Yeah. Because I always think back to back in, in the day when I was living in another part of Michigan, it was a great business. It was a bagel business and it was the, one of the best businesses around owned by two brothers and one underwent a divorce destroyed the business it went under and it was just such a loss for the community sure. I did you not it was just yeah. like it was really sad because I went it was this it was just it breakfast was terrible. were never the same <laughs> it, yeah the whole place literally went under because he got dragged into a divorce and it dragged the business into it sure because they had to look you know liquidate and I was like well, wow. when you don't think about it, I mean, if an entrepreneur doesn't think about it through an event like a divorce, you may be bringing on uh, another business partner, i.e. the ex-spouse, yeah. um, if yeah. there's you know, an obligation to share yeah. whatever equity. And uh, so having those things uh, set up ahead of time. And there are different ways some entrepreneurs um, can even create funding through different, like, you know, if it's a death uh, triggering event through life insurance policies, so that there is already a pool of funds available to buy out the other side. So there's no question, mm -hmm. no, no mm -hmm. concern about the inability to raise capital at the time to otherwise, you know, buy back those shares. So there are, there are some things that can be done in advance to make it a, a pretty seamless process. And I would assume the same thing applies with family because that can get really complex and I'm sure you've probably dealt with family issues where that can get really difficult really fast it, it, um, and hard to even have conversations in the same room with people um, because really spelling everything out. I, and I know they say like don't go into business with friends or family and I really think like people should think twice about that. <laughs> It's tough, and it's it's, wow. and I think I think again it goes back to Doesn't early on trying to define <laughs> roles and expectations. Um, and when things are good, or when you have the enthusiasm and about an idea, uh, I think there's a tendency to not think about the potential for some of these hard moments. Yeah. Uh, but if you're able to get through that, and I and I've counseled, I mean, some of my best clients. Uh, one of them in particular is a company, a large company, that's owned by two brothers, and they. Uh, are able to operate very well, even though um, you know, they have different personalities. One's more extroverted, one's more introverted. But part of that, I think, is because they were very practical early on to set those expectations. Yeah, yeah. I, I always wonder about things like that, because it's, it's got to be a hard conversation to have, but it's so important, because don't think it's always going to be like a shark tank moment. <laughs> right. It's not. Right. It's right. after the shark tank, and then you start the infighting and the problems, and, you know, life is life. I mean, it's not going to all be, you know, glitz and glamour. But anywho, um, let's move on to some legal agreements. Because um, this is an area where, you know, we start getting into all the do-it-yourselfers and finding stuff online. But um, what are some basic legal agreements people need? Sure. And uh, what are your thoughts on people who, like, want to do it themselves? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> and so if we were to be in an, in an LLC, for example, again, because it's the most common, you're going to want a membership agreement or an operating agreement. Uh, and again, that's going to be basically the, the governing agreement amongst the members. It's going to spell out roles. Uh, it's going to spell out responsibilities, expectations, 
literally for the role, right? Exactly. In the okay. For for the for the members. For mm -hmm. for mm -hmm. and the the term members really the owners of of this limited liability company. And it's again, it's a it's a living, breathing document. It can be changed. Um, it doesn't have to be set in stone, but that's a critical document. Uh, vendor agreements, you know. So, if your business is going to to require uh, doing business with other you know, business to business type situations, having your preferred terms set into place, um, you know, I, as consumers, we uh, we are faced with what they call contracts of adhesion, right? Those those 20-page size six font <laughs> cell phone contracts, and you have no negotiation, no bargaining power. Uh, but the devil's in the details when you read those terms, right? And so when you're a business, having the opportunity, the foresight to set forth your own terms and conditions that you would like to propose be the terms that govern the relationship, and in particular, whether it's consumer, whether it's consumer clients mm -hmm. or business to business, those are important things to consider. Not that in every situation uh, the, there'll be an opportunity to impose your terms, sometimes just by virtue of the fact that you know, your, your supplier is a, is a bigger fish in the pond, and so they're going to say, no, we want to use ours, but those are something that it would be critical to have. So um, are you showing those to your vendors then? I mean, you're sharing, yeah. sharing those with your vendors, but they're part of your agreement that you're fi as part of your filing. Right. So the idea would be, uh, you know, for example, in the, particularly in the automotive industry, mm -hmm. um, every, uh, every vendor seems or supplier seems to have their own standard terms and conditions of sale. And they're going to have all sorts of different uh, provisions in there, waivers of warranties or disclaimers of warranties, things of that nature. Uh, provisions de dealing with if there's a dispute, how do we settle this dispute, what's the total scope of our liability, so on and so forth. And um, having, so it, as part of that contract process, uh, you want to be make sure that you're getting your version out there and if possible have your version be the one that controls. And there's language that you can put in your agreements to set, to say ours controls and uh, sometimes um, there'll be disputes that will arise because both parties will have the same language and, and the court will have to decide based upon the actual nature of how this transaction came to, to, to place, who's what should, should prevail. Um, but uh, we see that quite often. But that's something from an from a early startup they should consider, right? Um, you had mentioned uh, about the online resources. Mm -hmm. I, I'm certainly a big proponent of, of uh, taking advantage of any resource that one has. And mm -hmm. there's a tremendous wealth of information that's available to the, to the public, to entrepreneurs on the internet, uh, through, through just easy research. And I think those are great starting points. Um, but like anything, one size doesn't fit all. And so I think the the important thing would be to educate yourself through those resources, but you to can make have it better a, conversations right, with you. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> Seriously, uh, but to then make yeah. a determination whether your specific business needs are going to require some customization, and they often mm -hmm. do. Yeah, and also you want to make sure you're complying with your, you know, your jurisdiction. And right. You know, who knows what you need to know about that particular business because sure. some of these businesses are regulated. And then there's a whole other host of issues to deal with if you're in a regulated business. That's like, a great point. So real estate or cosme cosmetics or whatever it is. Right. Um, yeah. And what, what about, um, you know, I know what you, you meet with a lot of people, so people have done their own legal research online and, and, and what have you. But 
I'm sure there's still like many things that come to light when you're having these conversations. Um, what are some things that people can do just to prepare for those conversations with you? I mean, we talked a little bit about, you know, keeping good records and having those handy and ready for you, maybe getting some prior knowledge about different types of businesses so when they come visit you, they have a little more knowledge. Um, what else can people do sure. to prepare so that they are a really good, um, have a really good, uh, fruitful conversation with sure. you? Sure. Well, if we're talking about f business formation issues, yeah. so if, if, if yeah. I'm being asked to uh, provide assistance right from the, the get-go, it's having those, cons those uh, mapped out the discussion points regarding, okay, what type of business am I going to be, and you know, am I selling a product, a good? Um, is that product a good, potentially something that could be harmful to someone, right? So liability issues. Uh, am I self-funding this? Am I, mm -hmm. If I'm not, how, where am I going to raise capital? Am I going to be ask, you know, applying for loans? Okay. Or am I going to be seeking capital from other investors, which then, depending on your approach, and the, you know, that may trigger SEC compliance, blue sky laws, oh, yeah. and things of that yeah. nature. So starting to, to say, again, not that they should have an expectation as to the exact dollar amounts, but I do need capital, or I don't. Um, talking about, you know, have them at least to think about whether they want to bring on other business partners at any point in time, or do they feel that this is, the, you know, the, the people that they, they have right now are the only people that they intend to, to you know, utilize for the foreseeable future. Uh, those types of things. If, if I'm meeting with a client and they're in business and let's say they have a particular legal issue that they're trying to deal with or work through, one of the best things is make sure I have all the, the operative documents. So if it's a, if it's a contract dispute, mm -hmm. I think it's helpful for you know, pull, let's, let's have all the correspondence, the right. emails or texts right. between the parties. Uh, it's amazing now uh, how, how many different avenues of communication businesses have. Mm -hmm. And um, that's why I don't do anything on text. It's going to be in an email because if I ever have to pull it, I'm going to have it. <laughs> sure, absolutely. And, and the ability to know that that's the only source where you yeah. have to go. I purposely do that. Yeah. I want proof. I, I keep really good records of everything because sure. that's my background, records. Yeah. So yeah, um, one real quick question before we wrap up. Yeah. When you have somebody and they're going to have a business partner, do you want them both in that conversation with you? Do you want them both there? It's helpful. It okay. certainly is. Not that it, it, it absolutely you know has to be, and, and mm -hmm. certainly there's been times where I've met Just you know yeah, yeah with one and the other. Um, but again, making sure that there's consensus amongst the parties mm -hmm. in in terms of what the the plan is going forward. All right. Well, I have one last question yeah. for you. Wish we had more time, but yeah. one last question for you, um, coming from your standpoint. Yeah. If you could give one piece of advice to entrepreneurs, what would it be? Tap your resources, tap your network, whether it's other lawyers, business consultants, tax professionals, things of that nature. It's amazing the amount of resources when you network uh, that you'll have and leverage those relationships uh, because not only would it potentially help their business in terms of formation issues, but uh, also just in connecting people to help hopefully their business flourish greater as it's going forward. All right. Great, great insight. Thank you so much, Jonathan, for being a guest today. Thank you for having me. If you'd like more information about our program, please visit us at www.michigananentrepreneurtv.com. Please join me again in the future when I interview another enterprising entrepreneur. Until then, wishing you the best of business.